0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, the NFL draft, the three-day marathon, in the books. How are you doing, my friend?
1: I cannot believe really the the absolute I mean we talk about it all the time the popcorn fest that was that draft I mean you could argue in terms of excitement probably 3 of the most exciting rounds I think I've sat through were the first three nights. Now I don't know if that's just because we're on a hiatus from all sports and this was literally the only game in town, but I mean, every year, man, if you're a fan of, if you're a fan of fantasy football, if you're a fan of player evaluation, this is just the moment to sit back, relax and see where things go. And I got to tell you, it did not disappoint. It was an exciting draft. It had a lot of interesting places. I am still to this minute racking my brain in terms of where players are going to go, where they're going to be situated in terms of like my rankings. I already got lambasted across the coals because I thought in a deep league, it's possible that the the quarterbacks may hold out, but I agree. It's probably not. I mean, this is the type of intrigue. This is the type of passionate discussion that this draft is really going to kind of bring about in terms of a fantasy football setting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And guys, if you miss any of Saturday Sunday's, uh coverage of the draft. There are three recap podcasts. Uh the first one obviously was just round one. The second podcast was recapping rounds two and three. And then the third one was recapping rounds four through seven. There is no podcast out there that is literally, you know, share their thoughts on every single pick from number one to number two fifty five. So make sure you go back and listen to them uh if you want to hear our thoughts on any of those prospects. But what we want to do tonight, I mean we're Wait, gonna hold on
1: hold on you don't get off that easy you have to take the proverbial bow i mean <laughs> you need to take a proverbial bow before we start the show i don't think it, it listen we could sit here and pontificate on just the you know the nature of the fact that we had some three podcasts out there that had you know the pics and all this stuff but that doesn't happen without the hard work of the other man on the other side of the microphone. Mr. Paul Perdikizi, my hat, my samurai man bun that I'm currently sporting right now <laughs> is being is being lowered towards you in a in a in a almost a very humble phase of saying thank you for such an incredible season. It it did not disappoint like every season before this. Your draft projections notebook not only gave us a framework for understanding the draft, but it gave us that quick reference guide that we were allowed to enjoy the draft while also being able to kind of quote those numbers and be and be interactive on Twitter. See, I I don't think you understand how your draft guide allows people to immediately get into the fray with other people in terms of understanding where these prospects may fit, getting a snapshot of where they're going. Because yes, we all can't sit there and watch every player. But when you synthesize it in such an artful, kind of clear manner, it gives us all an opportunity to sit down and think about the bigger picture of our favorite team, where those players may fit on the depth chart, and be able to kind of engage in social media and Twitter and just kind of have a conversation up to the minute as if we were all experts. And I just think that that doesn't happen without the hard work of curating all of that knowledge from the experts that you do and putting it in a very clear, easy-to-understand fashion massive tip of the cap to you and i think we should all be applauding you so virtual applause and real applause (laughs) abound really a fantastic show my friend plus the twitter on top of it which i know you have down to an automated science but i mean it is not to be undersold as something truly remarkable so absolutely well done
0: well, I appreciate the the sentiment and the kind words. It's something that I do truly enjoy doing, and I, I hope people are using it. I hope people are using it for that reference to get a quick snapshot of who the player is, their strengths, some areas of concern or developmental areas, and also to, to engage in that conversation. To to you know, if your favorite team is on the clock and you're hoping for a wide receiver. A quick glance at the draft projections notebook kind of allows you to see, you know, based on everything, all the information that was out there, who might the next guys in line be. And in this draft class, there were so many offensive skill players, such a deep draft at the offensive line position, you know, and this year was the most challenging for me. I'm not going to lie. And I had mentioned it on Twitter. I had mentioned it on air that without pro days, There was a lot less information out there, you know, and, and I was kind of a little, a little nervous that the numbers that I had produced in the previous years in the draft projections notebook might not hold up, that it could have been a little bit more of an off year. And instead, you know, we put up some of the best numbers that we've had. I mean, round one was 26 out of 32. We had beaten that in before. I think it was two years ago. We actually got 28 out of 32. But then rounds two and three, or combined with round one, the first three rounds, 90 out of 106, and then a personal best on predicting the entire draft, 210 prospects selected out of the 255. So, you know, if you're curious, if you're just a listener and you don't get the the premium notebooks, you know, in our draft projections notebook, we narrowed it down to 255 guys we thought were going to be drafted. I mean, there's, there's draft guys out there that have 500, 700 profiles out there and they're amazing things. Trying to narrow that down to 255 is not easy. And to get 210 out of 255, I was, you know, it was an accomplishment you know especially in this year with so much less information out there. So again, that the numbers are great, but I really hope people are using it to get a quick snapshot of who the prospect is, you know, and kind of following along, you know, as a quick reference rather than having to go to lots of different places to see who's available, you know, what skill set they might possess, what what's their height, their weight, their their combined numbers. You know, you might need four or five different tabs up to do all that. But here, it's all synthesized. I'm highlighting it in real time, so I hope people uh, are utilizing it, like Matt said. And you know, I appreciate all of the positive feedback and the interaction on Twitter. Uh, it was a welcome three days of distraction for sure.
1: No, and I and I think that that's the biggest thing. I think that what you what people may forget is there's different tools for different things. Right there, we have different tools for different jobs. This was supposed to be a tool that curated the general feel of the NFL on where they stood on these players, and that was what it was supposed to give us, a snapshot of where the NFL kind of stood based on everything that Paul was reading and hearing and seeing, which is all public consumption, mind you, but that just goes to show how – how sensitive he is to the information and the way it's presented. It gives him an opportunity to read between the lines. It's an outstanding effort, and it really shouldn't be undersold. It was a great reference guide. And if you didn't get your draft notebook this year, then I think you missed out on the opportunity to get into the fray immediately on social media and really kind of, kind of sling it with people back and forth about possibilities, landing spots, how good this person is for your team. It really does inform and enable. Everybody to really come into contact in the draft and have fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, like you said, I hope people are utilizing it like that. So so let's turn the page a little bit. We've recapped every pick on those three episodes. You know, if you're following along with me on Twitter, I was sharing my thoughts, every single pick, giving my analysis, subtweeting that when it was things that really were intrigued to share whether or not I liked the pick, loved the pick, questioned the pick, how the pick fit, who, what was there. You know, but we know a lot of our listeners, you know, are big into the dynasty leagues, have rookie drafts sometimes right after, maybe even starting this week already, you know, some maybe later in, you know, the spring and then the summer, you know, so people are craving those dynasty rookie rankings. And me and you, we hold firm prior to the draft and we we refuse to make fantasy rankings because we just say... Listen, fantasy rankings are dictated a lot upon draft capital, landing spot, immediate opportunity. So we just rank guys pre-draft. We tier guys pre-draft all based on our analysis, you know, in in terms of what we think of the players. And then we let the draft unfold before we make dynasty rookie rankings. So if you're looking for dynasty rookie rankings, they're in the rankings notebook now. New tab. Don't be confused. The draft rankings are still there. The tiered rankings are still there that those aren't going to change anymore. Those are locked in, you know, those, are those are rankings that we, you know, we make changes to up until the draft, you know, usually within a couple of weeks before we've kind of locked in those draft rankings, those tiered rankings, but now the dynasty rookie rankings could be updated and will be updated in real time. And in terms of, you know, what I, how I feel about if I was doing a rookie draft right now in this moment and they're up there, and we're gonna talk about them tonight because I think that I think the the rankings, I really thought the draft was gonna give us more clarity. That's the biggest thing I came away with. This draft, as good as it is in terms of offensive skill players, I don't feel like the draft gave us a lot of clarity in terms of differentiating between prospects. I'm still very much confused in terms of the best order. I think you can make lots of different arguments in terms of how the rankings are. And I think a lot of people landed in situations that it's a little bit of a wait and see. We don't have the Josh Jacobs, the perfect landing spot, a guy who's going to walk into 20 touches a game. We don't. We don't have a guy who immediately is going to be, you know, the number one wide receiver on the team and just get peppered with the the most targets on a roster. I don't think any of the wide receivers are going to be put in that position in year one. So it makes these rankings a little bit unique and interesting. So, Matt, let's get right into it. And let's just go to the chalk position, which I think is quarterback first. So we'll get that out of the way. I got to be honest with you. Nothing really changed for me. One thing changed for me from my regular draft rankings to now my dynasty rookie rankings. Jake from number one. (laughs) So for me, you know, my rankings still are Joe Barrow one, two and number two, Justin Herbert three, Jordan Love four, Jacob Eason five, Jalen Hurts six, Jake Luden, seven, Cole McDonald, eight, Jake Fromm, nine, and then I'm going to stop at number 10, James Morgan. The only other guys to get drafted were Nate Stanley to Minnesota to back up Kirk Cousins. And I believe he was the seventh round pick. Ben DiNucci, who, you know, was a guy that was not a guy who was on our radar, went to Dallas to, you know, maybe be in the mix of the third string quarterback there. And then New Orleans traded back into the seventh round to take Tommy Stevens, who's going to be more of like, Taysom Hill, you know, part two, if, if, if Taysom Hill was to, you know, not be there or leave down the line or something, maybe they work on t- with Tommy Stevens on the practice squad to see if he could be that next, t- you know, Taysom Hill type player. So for me, the only really change is that we talked last week when we did the ranking show, I had moved Jalen Hurts up to number five and I was really intrigued by him. I saw, I thought there were scenarios that, Jalen Hurts for Dynasty could have moved all the way up to number three. As crazy as that sounds, if he would have landed in on a team in round two, that I believe he would have got a legitimate opportunity to start by year two. Jacksonville, I something like Jacksonville. You know, maybe even the Colts because who we were there, locked in the Phillip Rivers for one year. Los Angeles, if they didn't make a selection in round one, if Jalen Hurts would have landed somewhere where he would have been on the projected plan to maybe be the starter by year two, I could have seen him moving up to number three on my dynasty rookie quarterback rankings. But now going to Philadelphia, I don't see a path where he's going to be a starting quarterback anytime soon unless Carson Wentz gets injured. So for now, he dropped back down. He only dropped behind Jacob Easton for me. Because Jake Fromm ended up going to Buffalo. I don't see a starting path. He also fell much further in the draft than people thought. So I don't think there's a chance that, you know, Jake Fromm is going to take the job from Josh Allen. So now Jalen Hurts, I still put in there at six. But I even think that could be too high. I could see somebody saying, you know what? Jake Luden and Cole McDonald have ended up in Jake Luden in Jacksonville. Cole McDonald in Tennessee. You know, Ryan Tannehill... And, you know, Gardner Minshew are not guaranteed to be long-term starters. I don't think this is a scenario where Jake Luton or Cole McDonald become future NFL starters of high caliber. But you can make the case that their path to getting an opportunity might be even faster than Jalen Hurts. But I stuck with Jalen Hurts at number six. I only bumped up Jacob Eason over him because I do think the Colts are an interesting landing spot for him, even though he fell all the way to the fourth round. Phillip Rivers is only there on a one-year deal. Let's see what happens after this year. They have a good offensive line. They have a good running game. We'll talk about that even more when we get to the running backs. So I moved Jacob Eason up to number fifth and Hurts down to sixth. But that's just because I don't know what their plan is. Is it just they're going to use him as Taysom Hill and then only use him as a, a quarterback if something happens to Carson Wentz? So I think he was the guy that got hurt the most by draft weekend in terms of where I think his dynasty rookie value could have been if he went somewhere where there seemed to be a path for maybe a starting position by year two or year three.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really have much to add because of everything that you just said. I think you did a great job explaining it. I mean, really not much for me changed at all. Um, I, You know, to get into the weeds a little bit on what I did, but let me give you the top five. Mine, I still have two at number one, um, just like I had previously. I still have uh, Joe Burrow at number two. There was a little movement. I have Joe. I have um, Jordan Lovett, number three. Um, I like the talent. I like the quarterback and the situation for me relative to where Aaron Rodgers is and who knows down the line. He's a player that I'm willing to maybe stock and kind of throw on my bench and hold on to. And I know that's going to be a little bit against the grain as most people will probably look at Justin Herbert, you know, at, at terms of being number three just because of the immense opportunity. But I, I just prefer the player a little bit more. Um, it's really close for me and I prefer the player a little bit more. And I think that the the situation down the road, I think he needed three years, which is what I thought was ideal. I thought a couple of years to sit on the bench was ideal for him. So I guess I'm drafting sort of the entirety of the situation, not necessarily the opportunity from a fantasy lens. So I like the idea of having Jordan Love sit for a year or two, Obviously more than that, I think he's going to be sitting for two years, but he sits for two years and I think he has an opportunity then to take over for Aaron Rodgers and I like that situation for Jordan Love's development and I think that was the biggest knock against him. We all agreed he needed time and he needed development. Well, now he's got the time and now he's also got an organization that, you know, all told, we could argue that Green Bay is one of the more stable organizations in the NFL in terms of not only coaching, but general management and things of that nature. And, you know, they have a pretty good eye for talent and they do well in the draft. I mean, this year you could argue it was a little bit questionable here and there. Um, But overall, good organization. I like where he landed. So Jordan Love for me, because of where he landed relative to what his development potential is and what he needed in terms of development, I thought it was a win for Jordan Love. So I have him at my number three. I have Justin Herbert at number four. Um, and I have Jacob Eason at number five. After that, it's pretty much the same as you. But I'll be honest with you, Paul. If if everything like obviously after Jalen Hurts, if we had Luden, McDonald, Fromm, and Morgan, if, if literally everybody, every starting quarterback in those respective situations got injured, right? Knock on wood, I'm not wishing that. But if that were to occur, I would probably pick up Fromm first out of that group. And then I would probably go ahead and take Morgan next, believe it or not. And I know that's crazy, but that's probably, so even though the stacking of the rankings isn't necessarily based on talent, it also encompasses situation and opportunity. I think if, if those quarterbacks in those respective positions all immediately got injured or were unavailable, I still think Fromm would be that group. That would be the guys that I would be sleeping on targeting and starring in my respective leagues for any type of opportunity for them to go in the game and play. Cause I do think those guys produce at the NFL level. So, Usually they say the more you have to explain, probably the less clear it is and the more arguments you're going to get. And that's fine. But I do believe in my top five. I do think for me, it's going to stay with Tua, Burrow, Love, Herbert, and Eason. Even though the Love-Herbert discussion, I can understand either way. I just like it for Love's
0: purposes and development. Yeah, I, I, I'm missing. I think you're spot on there. I think I had I have Herbert-Free Love 4, but to be honest with you, I like love's upside more. I put Herbert Barry because it's probably a good opportunity, good chance he's starting by the middle of this year Absolutely. and love could be a year and a half after that. So, but in terms of situation and upside down the line, I think love has higher fantasy upside than Herbert. So I could easily understand the flip flopping of those two. And, and you're right. And those guys after Jalen Hurts. If all the starting quarterbacks went down, I agree hundred percent. I'd rather have From next, then I'd rather have Morgan and then those other guys. I chose in my rankings to basically take that group of four guys and rank it in the likelihood from most likely to least likely to somehow earn a starting job without an injury. Yes is how yeah, I took that. You know, so I I went with, you know, you know, I looked at it and said, okay, like if I'm thinking about an opportunity without a starting I think Jake Luton has the next most because I'm not, you know, believing that Jacksonville's locked into Gardner Minshew. Ryan Tannehill had one great half a year. You know, maybe Cole McDonald down the line could. But, yes, 100 percent. If all four of those starting quarterbacks were out, I'd rather have Jake Fromm or or James Morgan. So I'm spot on in, in agreeing with that. So I don't think there's much left to talk. Talk about quarterbacks. I and mean, we honestly we know if it's not a two quarterback or a super flex lead, these quarterbacks, you know, besides Joe Burrow and Tua, you know, the other guys are really just stashes. Even the Herberts and the loves of the world, you know, Herbert, love, or stashes, you know, Easton goes late, you know, those guys go late. You know, and one quarterback late, it's really only Burrow and Tua. So it really depends a lot on the settings uh that we have also, you know, when we're talking about quarterback you know, value in terms of dynasty rookie rankings. So let's take this to the running back because I think this is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> we all thought That's- that the top five, and we all know who they are, and everyone had them ranked a little bit different before the draft started, but almost everybody had the same five names. We thought the draft might give us some clarity in terms of ranking these guys, immediate opportunity, depth chart. But no, not really, because as you said, everybody's got a roommate. Everybody's got a committee year one. And anybody who thinks any of these guys is walking in and seeing 70% workload without an injury, I think you're kidding yourselves. Nobody is walking into a situation and is going to see Josh Jacobs-like usage. I don't see it without an injury. I just don't. Because if you go through everyone, and these aren't my rankings, but if you go through everyone, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Damian Williams could have arguably been the MVP of the Super Bowl. Andy Reid likes him. Patrick Mahomes likes him. I don't think he's going to get four carries a game and just ride the pine. You know, J.K. Dobbins in Baltimore. Mark Ingram's the starter this year. I don't think that's changing. I think J.K. Dobbins can, can slowly eat into his workload as the year goes on. DeAndre Swift has On Johnson there with him. He only it is in his third year when he's been healthy, he's been good, he's been injured and injury-prone a little bit. Cam Akers, they just drafted Darrell Henderson last year. And then Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, I think believe, I think it was a close, approximately 1100 yards rushing this past year. Jonathan Taylor is not going to see 80% of the workload. So all five of these guys, stealing the word that you used on draft night, they all have a roommate. I predicted all of them would be off the board with round two. They all were. So I don't want to hear about draft capital. Clyde Edwards Hilaire was the last pick in the first round. And then by the two thirds into the second round, they were all gone. The other four, maybe even halfway through the round. I'd have to look. I don't have the final, I don't have the number on, you know, on where the last one came off the board in that round too, but they're all within 20 picks of each other. So draft capital has no impact. No bearing on on Dynasty rookie rankings. Late first, last pick in the first, early second, mid-second, I don't think that has anything to do. So draft capital didn't sort it.
1: Paul, if you don't mind, I mean, right up here, I mean, in round one, pick 32 was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. DeAndre Swift was literally within the first three picks of the second round at pick number three. Then Jonathan Taylor came off shortly thereafter at pick nine. Then Cam Akers came off roughly about 11 picks later at 20 at JK Dobbins came off 3 picks later at 23 and by the end of round 2 AJ Dillon went at pick 30. So literally from literally in one round we can include Clyde Edwards-Helaire. I know that's not fair. I know there's money attached, but in theory you're talking within one round you had Edwards-Helaire off the board followed by Swift, followed by Taylor, followed by Acres, followed by Dobbins, followed by Dillon.
0: Yeah. So so draft capital has no bearing on rankings post draft immediate opportunity has absolutely no impact on post draft. Like I want a guy I'm going to, I'm going to use my rankings based on immediate production in year one. They all got roommates. Somebody, some might have a little bit more of this the, the room than other people, but they all got roommates. So it's very tricky. So now you're talking about schematic fit. I honestly think most of them ended up in really good scheme fits for, for the type of running back and the offense that they're attached to. Indianapolis, power offensive line, you know, really opening holes. Perfect for Jonathan Taylor. The one concern we had about Jonathan Taylor, creating yards on his own, maybe in the backfield behind a poor offensive line. Doesn't need to worry about that. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in Kansas City's offense being used like a Brian Westbrook type player who Andy Reid compared him enough said. JK Dobbins in that Baltimore offense in the scheme they run, the holes that are created, the the outside running capabilities that the, that JK Dobbins is going to have with the bread of Lamar Jackson. You know, DeAndre Swift and Cam Akers, Cam Akers, he played in a bad behind a bad offensive line of Florida State gonna stay in the bad offensive line with the Rams. They got work to do there. And then DeAndre Swift, the Lions have been building that that line up a little bit, and they want him, you know, to offer a little bit more versatility in that backfield and be a little bit more of a weapon in the passing game. So everyone pretty much landed in really good you know, for the most part, situations behind Cam a- besides Cam Akers offensive line. So it's going to be interesting. This is how I have my top five. Let's do the top five and then, you know, have a conversation on that. And then we'll rattle off the other ones because I don't think the other ones, you know, the other ones are a little bit, you know, wait and seize. I have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, number one. I have Jonathan Taylor, number two. I have J.K. Dobbins, number three. I have DeAndre Swift, number four. And I have Cam Akers, number five. And let me just say, I could see people flip-flopping Edwards-Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor. And I would be okay with it. And I personally could see somebody saying, I'm going to think a year out, and I think J.K. Dobbins could potentially seize that backfield if Mark Ingram is in his last year of Mark Ingram there. So I'd even be okay if people had J.K. Dobbins you know, right there with Jonathan Taylor. I don't think many people will. So I would say most people are going to have Edward Tolaire and Taylor in some order one, two. Some people might have DeAndre Swiffery and then J.K. Dobbins. I, I prefer J.K. Dobbins based on now opportunity, landing spot, schematic fit, franchise. Even though I had DeAndre Swift ahead of J.K. Dobbins in my pre-draft rankings, where I had based on talent, I had Swift one and Dobbins two. I do have Akers five, because like I said, the offensive line's a little bit of a concern. They just drafted, you know, Darrell Henderson last year. He's only in the second year, so I think they're gonna try to give him opportunity. I do think if the Rams could get back to their old ways of being that top-notch offense, Kim Akers could be a star in there as well. So that's my top five. Where do you differ, if at all?
1: No, I have the same exact top five. The only thing that I differed a little bit on is, well, I have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at number one. I do have Jonathan Taylor at number two. And I have J.K. Dobbins at number three. And I do have Cam Akers at four followed by DeAndre Swift at number five. I think the biggest thing that I have is out of everybody's roommate, the one that is the one that makes me feel most, <laughs> the one that would make me feel most inferior uh would probably be carry on Johnson. I think he's probably one of the best uh backs um potentially that hasn't been quite yet in the NFL. I do think the injury has really derailed so far what he's capable of doing. I think he's a very good back. Um And I think that, That means that DeAndre Swift is not exactly going to be going up against a guy who's going to totally roll out the red carpet and say, here, take my job. Um, To your point earlier, that's not to say that Damian Williams is a terrible back either. I just think that what Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can bring to the, the the Chiefs in ter- terms of his versatility and overall game is still why I think he needs to be the number one guy. I, I you can have you can have Clyde Edwards Hilaire on the same field as another running back and still be able to challenge teams in a versatile way because of his amazing route running. That's the reason why he needs to be number one. He is the best route runner. We said it with we said it on our last podcast um, with Mr. Garfield as well when we were talking about runs created. We were talking about. Um, the idea of him being the best running back since Christian McCaffrey. That's it. He is. And as a result, I think that you're going to see Andy Reid use that. And the fact that he compared him to Westbrook almost, almost makes me cry tears of joy and happiness mm-hmm. because he's seeing the field the same way that we were when we were watching him. And that's, that's awesome. When you, when you hear an NFL coach kind of, kind of validate some of the things that we were talking about on the air and that was great. So it means that they kind of see it the same way. And if they see it the same way, then I don't think there's any reason why Clyde or quiet or layer, isn't going to get opportunities and ample opportunities at that. To your point, I do not think he's supplanting anybody. I do think it's going to be a timeshare, but moving forward contracts, this, that, and the other thing trades, you know, he's going to be a guy that they can lean on. The biggest one that I kept grappling with and where I finally decided to kind of just lean in and kind of commit, um, was the was the was the JK Dobbins and the Jonathan Taylor discussion. I really grappled with that. And the reason is is because I don't think there was a better spot than JK Dobbins landing in Baltimore. I mean talk about the 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 kind of inconsistency at the back position and what they've had. You know, I mean Lamar Jackson has had to be that east-west field stretcher at times, not by design, but maybe by incident as a result of what the offensive line was doing and the lack of maybe receiving downfield or as it developed and there everything went hand-in-hand. Hand. J.K. Dottman's can help you stretch the field horizontally, but yet he can also flex out and be a receiver if needed. He's not the same caliber receiver as Clyde edwards helaire but he's functional. Jonathan Taylor, though, just happens to go to the perfect, perfect, like frame it with a picture, sign it, and sell it for a million dollars. Perfect type of situation. He has the perfect offensive line to, to literally create the opportunities that he is the most skillful in this draft of doing, getting downhill and running between the tackles. That's where he lives. He does not need to be an amazing wide receiver. He does not need to do that there. They have Marlon Mack. There's no reason he has to do that. Marlon Mack's better than him at catching the football. And you know what? That's okay. They can both be on the field at the same time. And I know everybody's saying, well, how can they all be on the field at the same time and yet still start three wide receivers? Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, yeah, you you can, but then you don't have a tight end. I don't think you're going to see teams do that. I, I think what you're going to see is the advent of having two backs is going to be what I think – ready? What I think the Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders are considering. With the whole Lynn Bowden thing, you're going to see a couple of those guys. Like, watch Marlon Mack start being a little bit more slotty. Starts going in the slot a little bit more, starting out in the backfield, motioning out. Let's see who goes with him. Up oh, QB's got a read. It's a linebacker. It's a lighter box now. Let's go ahead and give it to Jonathan Taylor on the run down middle. Oh, no, nobody goes with him. Now it's two backs in the backfield. That guy doesn't flex out, so we know it's a stacked box. Okay, let's RPO it and throw it to the perimeter to T.Y. Hilton. Or let's, uh or let's just go. Yeah, well, now, well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> play action, fake Michael Pittman down the seam, right? Michael Pittman down the seam. Yeah, he could be a number two receiver, guys. I think that's a safe play in the NFL when you don't have experience against number one corners. Put him in the seam, give him a little bit more room. Anyway, but the point being is, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yes, you, we want to have two awesome tight ends. Okay, you don't have two awesome tight ends. Yes, we want to have five wide receivers that are amazing. Okay, we don't have five wide receivers. But you can stretch horizontally by having running backs that are capable of playing between the tackles and also being competent receivers. J.K. Dobbins does that. Jordan T- Jonathan Taylor goes to a team that already has a guy who could do that in Marlon Mack. He just provides the downhill punch that's needed to complete that offense. And now now you have a team with Phillip Rivers where all of a sudden I think you're going to have a little go, go, go going in uh, Indianapolis this year. And I think it's going to be exciting to watch.
0: Yeah, and I think we I think we have to start realizing as fantasy football players that the influx of good talented running backs this year in future. I mean, for God's sakes, we could have added we could have added to this group of guys. What did we get? Eight guys, and if you count Lynn Bowden and Antonio Gibson, what did we get? Ten guys, ten running backs. Were taken. I, I mean, I think I'm correct because we had the five that we talked about. We had AJ Dillon, Zach Moss, and Keyshawn Vaughn. They all went on day two, and then so did Lynn Baden and Antonio Gibson. And my fantasy league and other websites are converting them to running backs because that's what it sounds like they're going to be categorized at the NFL level. We had ten running backs go in the top one hundred and six picks this year. Next, and then it could have been thirteen if Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and you know Chaba Hubbard came out. So what I'm getting at is we have to start realizing every team's going to have two running backs. Every team. So when you talked before about on Johnson and you know DeAndre Swift. That's going to start to become the norm. The Saquon Barkley getting 90% or 80% in the workload, the Christian McCaffrey, the Ezekiel Elliott's, those are going to be a dying breed. I don't think we're going to see that that often anymore. I even, like you brought up Josh Jacobs. I don't think that, I don't know if they even want him to get the workload that he got last year anymore. And if so, they want to incorporate someone different. And that's what the Lynn Bowden is. So I think we're just going to – got to start to accept in the fancy football world, most teams are going to have two running backs. And sometimes they're both going to be productive in a game and sometimes one. I mean, we've seen Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara both be good in the same game. We've seen Alvin Kamara games. We've seen Mark Ingram games. We skew towards the guy who's got more pass-catching ability. And that's why I think in the long run, DeAndre Swift is clearly going to be the superior back in Detroit but it doesn't mean that for the rest of carry on Johnson's rookie contract this year and next year he's still not seeing 10 12 carries a game and he could be the Mark Ingram where DeAndre Swift plays the role of Alvin Kamara it's that's not impossible and it'll be interesting to see if the Rams kind of create some version of that with Cam Akers and and you know Darrell Henderson and we'll see down the line would we all be that stunned if next year Mark Ingram leaves Baltimore and Baltimore invests another top one hundred pick in a more physical, bruising running back to complement J.K. Dobbins? Probably not. You know, it's the world that we're living in now. Everybody's gonna have multiple running backs and it's gonna make fantasy football a lot harder. But that's just the that's just what's happening now at the NFL. We gotta embrace it. We gotta be we gotta start to be able to evaluate it differently than we did in the past because it's the the guy who gets the amount of carries like a derrick henry and those and Saquon's and ezekiel elliott's those are going to be the small minority and everything else is going to be two you backfields
1: know, you know and, I, and then we can move on because i know we're we're belaboring this point a little bit for our for our listeners and i i apologize but this is such a passionate thing for us I think we have to also start looking when we're starting to analyze some of these running backs, we may have to start looking at the number three receiver because if these guys are going to be substituting for the third wide receiver in the backfield, we need to consider how strong that third wide receiver is. So if you go ahead and take a look at what teams like, like, so for example, if we're talking about, you know, uh, Baltimore and we're looking at the third wide receiver right now in Baltimore, um, I don't know. <laughs> Who's your third wide receiver in Baltimore?
0: Yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, Devin Duvernay might get a shot this year. I mean, it's. Well, another-
1: no, but that's my, that's, I think that's why Duvernay was brought in because I think that they envision, I don't even think they envision a Mark Ingram coming in the following year. They may get depth there. And I think then Devin Duvernay becomes the other back while J.K. Dobbins becomes the alpha guy in the back. So in other words, there are two guys working in the back that both have running skills. So Duvernay is going to have an opportunity, but I think J.K. Dobbins immediately gives you that flexibility from day one. So how strong is that third wide receiver? Because if you get a running back with path catching ability and playmaking skills as a receiver, now he can do double the work. And when you have double the work, it also creates indecision and instability in the defense because now there's more information they need to process. What's that guy going to do? Is he a running back in this play? Oh, no, he's being flexed out. Okay. So he's being flexed out. That lightens the box. But who's the other guy in the backfield? All right. I'm supposed to go with him. Well, wait a second. They RPO'd it. So now I have to wait on my running lane. I have to hold it, hold the gap. Oh, wait. He's now going out to the, you know, the outside as a, as a swing route. And all of a sudden it's a play action or it's an RPO. And now that guy puts me in conflict. Guys in the backfield can put people in conflict an incredible amount. It's it's very very hard. So I think we have to evaluate maybe that those roommate situations by looking at that third wide receiver. It's just yeah. a, it's just a thought.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if Lynn Bowden and Antonio Gibson translate well, every team in the league is going to want to get guys. That,
1: like that. I was just going to say they were a they were
0: a telltale sign at the way the NFL sees the offense evolving. And don't tell me, don't tell me, very that part school. of don't tell me part of them being drafted as high as they were. Don't tell me that that is not a direct correlation to teams seeing how Debo Samuel was used in terms of his running production last year. And in the effect it had on the playoffs and in the Super Bowl, the NFL is copying. People want that. You know, when we saw when the Rams were really hitting on all cylinders, the amount of motion that they ran and then they would do those, they would do those little jet sweeps and end the rounds. They did them to Brandon Cooks. They did them to Robert Woods. You know, they would do them to all different guys, whoever was inside in the slot sometimes. And then we saw what the 49ers did last year with Debo Samuel and how effective it was. We saw other teams utilize it. It's becoming much more the norm, and everybody wants somebody that can be that jack-of-all-trades, that offensive weapon. And if those guys pan out, we're going to see even more and more teams invest higher resources in guys like that. So let's keep this going, and I'll I'll rattle through the rest of my uh, running back rankings with a couple thoughts on the guys that stand out after I finish. I have number six, Keyshawn Vaughn, who— did have day, uh, day two capital. He went to the Bucks in round three. Then Zach Moss uh, is at number seven. He went to Buffalo, going to form a duo with Devin Singletary. Uh, A.J. Dillon went uh, at the end of round two, which was a stunner, to Green Bay. He's my number eight. And then the rest of these guys were day three selections. Number nine is Anthony McFarland, to Pittsburgh. Number 10, Joshua Kelly to the Chargers. Number 11, Michael Pirine to the Jets. And then we just talked about them. Uh, number 12 and 13, Antonio Gibson to the Redskins, Lynn Bowden to uh, Las Vegas. And then I'll stop at number 14. The last one that I think has real value is Darrington Evans to the Titans. I have DJ Dallas and, you know, Benjamin next. Uh, those guys, you know, were, you know, Late day three guys, you know Benjamin was seventh round, so he would need some things to break right. I do, I do see a scenario that maybe he can eventually become a backup there. But seventh round guys, they, you need a lot to break right for a seventh round pick to get a real opportunity, you know, and make something. So in this wave of guys, I like AJ Dillon the talent more than Keyshawn Vaughn and Zach Moss. That is not something that I've kept hidden. I've been, I've been screaming at the hilltop how much I liked AJ Dillon. But for fantasy, it's a little bit different. So he doesn't have, you know, the pass catching capability, you know, so that's something that could hurt him. In addition to not having the pass catching ability, he's blocked by the best running back of that trio on his team. Aaron Jones is a really talented running back. And Mm -hmm. I think if they invested in AJ Dillon in round two, they see a plan for him. And I see a plan for him, him rumbling in the snow in the middle of winter in the fourth quarter, you know, so I see it. But at the same time, Keyshawn Vaughn only has Ronald Jones as his roommate. Zach Moss has Devin Singleton, Singletary as his roommate. So I think A.J. Dillon, on talent alone, he's number six for me. But I have him at number eight here because he's got to show me at the next level he can be more of a pass catcher. I don't see that happening anytime soon. And he's got the most talented guy in front of him. So even though he has a little bit more draft capital than Keyshawn Vaughn, Zach Moss, I, those guys are very closely related in my overall big board. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, I think is a really good pass protector. So I think Tom Brady, you know, that'll help him because Tom Brady's there now, obviously in Tampa. But I think people are making out that Keyshawn Vaughn is this really good pass catching back. Look up Keyshawn Vaughn's stats, guys. They were like 9, 14, 12. And then this year he had 28, but most of them were really short dump offs. This is not James White. This is not Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I, I, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of Keyshawn Vaughn as this great third down, you know, type running back. He's a very good pass protector but I don't think he's much more, more than a check down option. So whether that gets him on the field because he's better at that than Ronald Jones, maybe, but he's not a prototypical third down back. You know, he's, to me, he's more of a two down, early down in between the tackles type runner, to be honest with you, who might end up playing on third down because of his pass protection ability and the lack of a true pass catching third down running back there. But he's going to get an opportunity on a team that, You know, they're not sold on Ronald Jones and they got a really good offense, you know, with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you know, not Tom Brady at the helm. They upgrade the offensive line. So that's why I have Keyshawn Vaughn, Zach Moss in Buffalo. Him and A.J. Dillon, I'm really tossed between uh, flipping them because I've said it a lot. Josh Allen – is basically the early down running back. So as I'm saying this live on air, I am updating my rankings notebook and I'm going to flip flop them and I'm going to go with AJ Dillon and the ahead of Zach Moss, you know, and the main reason I'm doing it is even if Zach Moss steals some workload, he's not going to be the pass catching back. So to me, AJ Dillon and Zach Moss both aren't going to be the pass catching backs and Zach Moss is going to lose goal line opportunities to Josh Allen because Josh Allen is like Cam Newton when it comes to that. So I'm going to actually have AJ Dillon seven, Zach Moss eight. I love the landing spot for Zach Moss. I think he's the perfect compliment to Devin Singletary. Uh, so I think on the football field, it, it works out well. Uh, but in fantasy, I think, I don't think he's a guy who I think is going to produce at a high fantasy rate. And then those other guys after that, I like Anthony McFarlane a lot, but I think he's a, he's a role player. And even if James, unless James Conner gets hurt, then maybe McFarlane can have a much bigger role. But even if Conner is gone in a year or two years, they're going to bring somebody in to compliment and to, to maybe even take the lead over Anthony McFarlane. Joshua Kelly, I like the landing spot at the Chargers, him and Austin Eckler with, you know, just, uh, with Justin Jackson there as well. I think Kelly could eventually become a part of a committee. I'm not going to bank on that as a day three pick. Same thing with Michael P. Ryan behind Le'Veon Bells. I think he's got an opportunity there. They don't seem like Le'Veon Bell's in the long term plans there. So I, I could see a scenario, but I also can see those teams then upgrading down the line as well. And then I kind of put Gibson and Bowden there after those guys because I don't really know where to put them. I don't know how much usage. I don't know how many touches. You know, I, I can't I have a tough feel for that. You know, so I, I put them a little bit further down. And then Darrington Evans is a wild card. If you think Derrick Henry might not be back in Tennessee after this year, then Darrington Evans should be a little bit higher on this list, but even then, they'd probably would replace Derrick Henry with a more traditional running back and have Darrington Evans as that change of pace guy. So I kind of have those like change of pace guys, guys that I think could be the lesser part of committees all kind of grouped together there.
1: Yeah, honestly, I mean, you know what's funny is as we were talking and as we we're thinking through this, there are guys that I moved around. So I mean, it's talking about, you know, thinking about things and talking it out on air, I mean, there are things that I've changed since we've been talking. So some things that I'll tell you since I started. So my number six guy is Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm right there with you um, in terms of the opportunity. I agree with you. He's not an all-world beater. I think he's functional in a lot of ways. I think he is a very solid overall back. And, and what I mean by that is I think he's v- – more competent between the tackles and on the outside. But I think overall, I think he's a guy that's going to get you yards. I think he's going to be a consistent back. I think he can catch the fall, the ball pretty well. I've had a couple of opportunities to see him catch the ball where a couple of them were really nice. So I think he'll be competent. And I think his pass protection is going to be kind of the, you know, the little, the little blue blanket that Tommy needs to to kind of feel comfortable in the backfield there. So I, I think he's going to end up getting an opportunity right there with Ronald Jones early on. I really like the landing spot um i had zach moss originally ahead of aj Dillon, but i you know since we were talking i see a very clear role for aj Dillon in terms of production and i think if we're talking from a fantasy lens i think aj Dillon's the one that you want to bank on a little bit more i think he's a very good complement to aaron jones and i think that that's where he lives he lives as being that in between the tackles goal line guy it allows them to preserve both backs i know they already have somebody that's competent in doing that but aj Dillon is a is a is a better athlete than I think people are giving him credit for, but he's also a very good player between the tackles. And I don't think he's just another guy between the tackles. so i I, I think that he is definitely somebody that's going to pair well with Aaron Jones. Then I have Zach Moss. I, I like Zach Moss as a player. I think he's going to complement um, Singletary as well. I think they're, they're very similar styles of players in terms of how they win on the field, in terms of the way they see the field, in terms of the way they problem solve. I tend to favor Zach Moss a little bit more, maybe in passing, because I think he's a very good pass catcher. But again, let's not mix this up with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. This is not the same type of pass catcher. I think he's, he's better than average, but I don't think that that means he's, you know, somebody that is unsupplantable when it comes to being in the backfield. So I think it's going to be a pretty even share there, probably leaning more towards Devin Singletary early on, especially. After that, I've got Anthony McFarlane. I I think I see an opportunity for him to just be a change of pace back, you know, in the backfield. I think he offers a better, uh, more diversified skill set than Jalen Samuels did. I think Jalen Samuels is the guy they're going to move around. And I think Anthony McFarlane will quickly work his way into being a, A component of that backfield Um, I don't think necessarily That he is going to give you uh, An upgrade obviously over James Connor in any way but I think he's going to give you A little lightning to James Connor's thunder in terms of the way they're going to Play call and use him and I think there's an Opportunity for him to be used forward I do agree with you Though I don't think you rest your hat on Anthony McFarlane as your dynasty rookie running back of the future, I think they're going to always be an opportunity for him to not be supplanted, but be complimented. So for that reason, I don't think you kind of lean into him. the one I'm most intrigued about. And the one that I'm very, very high on seeing if I can grab him in the later rounds, just because of the versatility is Lynn Bowden. And I know that that's going to, people are going to be like, why, why there's Josh Jacobs there just because, Because they went and got him, and they went and got him, and for whatever it's worth, so far since Mike Mayock's been the GM, he has gone and got people in the draft and used them. Hunter Renfro, he got and he used and he was successful with. And there's something to be said just in that early kind of quick observation about players. I like that they went and got Lynn Bowden. I see Lynn Bowden as a versatile chess piece on a team that wants to play chess and they're willing to play chess at least in terms of the passing game, it seems. And if that means that Lynn Bowden is going to have an opportunity to get on the field, line up in the slot, work in the backfield, compliment Josh Jacobs in some way, I, I could easily see them getting him, getting him for two reasons. One, what if Brian Edwards doesn't work out? Uh, number two, what if Henry Ruggs shows that he's not an all-world versatile player but an extremely one-dimensional player but still still good and we still need somebody to work around You can kind of simultaneously use Lynn Bowden and develop Lynn Bowden for multiple opportunities and positions. He's a guy whose role is not year one. He's a guy whose role could be year two, year three. And I think that that's intriguing to me. And I, and I love that about that selection. And those are the players that I think you stack the end of your, your, you know, your kind of bench with a couple of guys, Jordan Love, Lynn Bowden, antonio gibson just a couple of guys to see where the dust settles by the end of the year i'm not saying you fill the whole roster but if you got one or two slots at the end of your bench and you're saying what do i do with them one of them i think should always be revolving picking up players and moving around but then one of them should be a guy that has a long-term investment kind of uh pedigree a guy that you think was done for a reason so i got lindau in there got joshua kelly after that Darrington Evans, I agree with you. He's definitely one of my late round guys. If I can grab him anywhere in the draft, I probably will. If not, he starred for a pickup role. Um, because I, I really think that there's room for him, even this year for fun. Let's get him the ball. But I'm not, I'm not too intrigued because they had they had um you know, they had Deion Lewis for a while and they didn't do anything with him, right? I mean, once Derrick Henry took over, they did nothing with him. And and it's not like they were like this, you know, massively efficient passing team. They were struggling to find passing yards at times. You know? So if you're telling me Deion Lewis couldn't get on the field and he's a good pass catcher and a good versatile player, I don't see a world where Darrington Evans yet, unless unless we have kind of a different philosophy moving forward. So I don't know what Vrabel's thinking over there yet in Tennessee. But if any indication is last year, Darrington Evans is going to be a guy that you have to hold on to. I don't know if it's happening now. You have to hold on to them and see where they go. And that's pretty much it. After that, I kind of round out this particular group um with uh Michael P Ryan, DJ Dallas and Eno Benjamin to finish it off.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're pretty close on on most of our rankings. And I, I listen, I think it's a fascinating year for the running backs. I really do. And it's interesting to see, you know, how high do, do in Non superflex, non two quarterback leagues are the first five picks and rookie picks, running backs. I think you can make the case. I think you can. I think some of the wide receivers could be put in there. I think it could be a little team dependent, but I think you can make the case of those five running backs, because I think they're all intriguing. I think you know. I think you add, you sprinkle in there a couple of the top wide receivers. You know, depending on what your current makeup of your roster is. So let's take just the tight end, and this this is going to be like razor quick because. It just didn't go well, you know, for the tight ends in terms of opportunity, <laughs> landing spots, draft capital. You know, I have Adam Trapman number one with New Orleans, but I mean we're talking about he's not gonna play much this year. So he's number one. I have Devin Asiasi number two. He went to New England. I think he will get an opportunity to play this year and play a lot. I just don't know what that's gonna translate to fantasy production. I have Cole Komet at number three, who went to Chicago, which is interesting because they just signed Jimmy Graham to big, a pretty big contract. So I don't think Cole Komet's going to be on the field much. So I don't think any of those guys are going to really play much in terms of production levels this year. I actually think Devin Asiasi is going to play more than any anyone in that group. Uh, so I really think you're still projecting long range and in terms of fantasy value, I ranked it as guys in terms of long-term upside. That's how I ranked my top three, which was Trappman one, Asi, Asi two, and then Cole Komet three. So to me, they're the clear top three guys I see it as. I have Colby Parkinson fourth, but Seattle is a very crowded depth chart, so that's more of a play down the line. I really like Harrison Bryant, but he ended up going in day three to Cleveland. They still have David Njoku for another two years they still have, they just signed Austin Hooper to a big contract. So, I mean, how high could I have Harrison Bryant where it might be years before he's even the number two tight end? And it could be three or four years before he even gets the opportunity to start. You know, and number six, I have Aberdo Kuebenam, but they just drafted Noah Fant last year and they have, you know, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. So how much is that, you know, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay? How much opportunity is Albert Okawebin I'm going to get? Bryson Hopkins to the Rams is interesting, but not until Jared Everett or Tyler Higby leave. So he's a play down the line. Dalton Keene to New England. Okay, he's a, a very athletic kid. They drafted him and Asi, Asi Bolt in round three. You know, maybe Keene's the one that gets more of an opportunity. And then Josiah DeGara Green Bay drafted him, but he's more of an H-back fullback. They just drafted Jay Sternberger last year and then Stefan Sullivan out of LSU, you know, you know, he was taken late in the draft too. So like those are my top ten. You know, guys like Hunter Bryant were UDFA pickups. I believe he signed with the Lions, but right now I have not put UDFA guys in my dynasty rookie rankings. They're not even like official yet in terms of the signing. Sometimes they're just invites. Sometimes they're official signings. Like those haven't even been made official yet. So I haven't put those UDFA guys in it yet. But how high are you going to put Hunter Bryant as a UDFA free agent, you know, onto a team that Drafted T.J. Hawkinson last year, so I don't really think it's going to move the needle much. So this is as bad post draft dynasty rookie rankings for tight ends as I can ever remember and potentially ever expect to see.
1: Yeah, I have no idea. Um, I I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I kind of I kind of took this from the standpoint of, all right, let's 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 feel like you know the, the guys that are better blockers are going to get the work early, and the rest is going to kind of be up in the air. And we're gonna kind of see how that goes. And that philosophy would have worked pretty well, except for Harrison Bryant going to Cleveland. And then I'm like, well, you know, it's not like Najoku can't block for anything. I mean, you know, what are they what are they envisioning here? They already have a great wide receiver core, they have a good running back. I mean, you know, what are they looking at here? So I, I I kind of differed from you a little bit. And this is again, all this goes to show you how we talk all the time about You know, the chaotic environment that is football and how there's self-organization and players just figure it out as they move and act. They figure out the answer to the problem as they go. Well, you kind of figure out your rankings as you talk because you kind of think through it and you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, you know, if I have to commit to the tight ends, I'm going to go with Cole Cole Komet at number one. Um, I'm going to go with draft capital a little bit the fact that he is a competent blocker the fact that he isn't exactly a zero in the passing game he's functional in the passing game he's a very good post up player who I think has room for development in terms of route running I think he could get to a very functional level I have Devin Asiasi at number two Um I like the landing spot Um I like the player um i think that this is the perfect opportunity because i think that he's going to be competent in in terms of blocking um and i think that he is going to be um get the opportunity there in new england so i think when you're talking about development i think you want to see opportunities for development and i think there's an opportunity for development there um in new england so i like that when a player needs development but they got talent i like the opportunity there um after that i've got uh, Adam Troutman at number three and I like the team in the situation a little bit more um, than the player's overall skill level. I know that's heresy, but I think Troutman is a is a very good, um, receiver at this point I still think there's room for him to build in terms of his blocking um, I do think that that's an opportunity for him to continue to learn um, but I think that this is a situation where you couldn't have gone to a better situation in, in the NFL if you're a development tight end who can already catch the football and run routes I mean you're going to arguably the emergent place of the tight end position in the modern game which is Sean Payton's offense in New Orleans so how could you not pick a better spot For, you know, a Jimmy Graham style type of player. And I'm not saying he's Jimmy Graham, but the idea that he is dimensionality, his style, what he can do on the field. He's a good receiver. Now he goes to a team that already knows how to use a player who's a little bit more limited as a blocker, but an excellent receiver. This is where I think Troutman belongs. And that's why it's a great fit there. I just fade a little bit because I think it's a big jump for him. I do think that there's going to be room for him to grow. He has to grow. And I think that that's going to be an opportunity where he can get it. But I I, I don't – I like the players above him a little bit more. Um, I'm with you. Colby Parkinson at Seattle is my number four. Harrison Bryant followed by Albert Okwebenom, Bryce Hopkins, and Bryson Hopkins and Dalton Keene to end it. That's it. I didn't go any
0: deeper than that. Um, Yeah, I probably should have stopped too. The rest of the guys are not going to be guys that in any way, shape, or form have fantasy value in terms of pass catching.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Listen, like we said, Razor quick. Those are the tight ends. If you want to jumble them up and tell me a different story, believe me, I'm all ears. I just went on the premise that the guys that can block early and have the two down potential right there, or the double potential there as a blocker and receiver, those guys are going to get the early, the early work. And then I think Troutman just going to the, the picture perfect offense for a player that's developing as a blocker, but already a great pass catcher is just too good to pass up. Pa- Paul, I'll be going to be honest with you. After those three guys, I I can't imagine myself spending a pick on any of them.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the top three in some order, whoever, however people want to rank them are all going to be the same. I think they're the only three draftable ones. You'd have to be in a super, super deep league, tight end premium, deep taxi squad. And then maybe you throw, you know, a Parkinson or a Hopkins or a Harrison Bryan and basically just throw them there and say, you know, I'll see you in two or three years. Uh, you know, and, and I think you're right. I mean, Cole Komet is going to be on number one on most people's boards, I think. So I think you have that one, you know, I think you have that one right. That's probably the smart play. He's the best blocker in a bunch. He's Jimmy Graham is really no longer is a shell of a former self. I think they'll quickly realize that. So Komet will probably, you know, be on the field as much as anyone. I think him and Asiasi might, you know, depends on how quickly Asiasi earns the trust of Belichick. Those probably be the two that'll be on the field the most this year. Uh, but because they also drafted Dalton Keene, we don't really know how that's going to play out. So, you know, I, again, as I'm thinking this, you know, I might adjust right after we get off the air tonight and I might move Cole Komet up to number two. You know, I, I think I'm still going to go with Adam Trapman number one because I'm intrigued by the situation. And, you know, Sean Payton knows how to maximize his tight end. Yes, he yeah. You I know, so it. I think I like long-term it. upside, I think Trapman has it more. But I think you're right. If we really start looking into immediate opportunity, the level of blocking to get on the football field, the quickest that's definitely cold commit.
1: Well, and listen, not to belabor this point any further, because we move on to the wide receiver position, but we talk about skill development. You can't develop skill. If you're not on the field, don't talk to me about practice. Talk to me about game reps. You need game reps to develop skill. That's when the information that you need to connect to in order to perform is at its best So guys that get on the field early have the opportunity to develop early. So I mean I know that's an oversimplified answer but sometimes the easy answer is the one in front of us and that's not to – that's not to berate anybody's rankings. It's just that's the kind of sounding board that I use just so you know where I stand. That's kind of my sounding board like – Who's going to get on the field early? Who's going to get reps? Who's going to get the opportunity to learn how that team functions on game day? Who's going to learn how the team's going to function on game day? The guy on the field. Who's going to get on the field? And, and again, I, that's how I kind of split hairs and split ties.
0: Yeah. So let's take to the to wide receivers because if we count Antonio Gibson and Lynn Bowden as running backs, we had 15 wide receivers taken in the first three rounds. You know, most people during the day of the draft were counting those other two as wide receivers. So we were saying 17 went, but now that they've kind of been shifted to running back, we had 15 wide receivers. They're my first 15 wide receivers, whether it's, it's it's the way they ended up in decent landing spots. I don't have anybody from day three ahead of any of the guys that went on the first three rounds of the draft. So, and I think a lot of people are going to have these 15 names in their first 15 so I'm going to run off my 15 and then I'm going to run off my 16 just to tell, just to give people an idea who's my favorite day three wide receiver in terms of where they landed. So for me, I have, I'm just going to run them right off right now. And then you can do the same. And then we'll have a little conversation about some of them to wrap it up. Number one, I have Jerry Judy. Number two, I have CD Lamb to Dallas. Number three, I have Henry Ruggs to Las Vegas. Number four, I have Justin Jefferson to Minnesota. Number five, I have Jalen Rager to the Eagles. Number six, I have T. Higgins to Cincinnati Bengals. Number seven, I have Michael Pittman Jr. to the Colts. Number eight, I have Brandon Ayuk to the San Francisco 49ers. Number nine, I have Denzel Mims to the Jets. Number 10, I have LaVisca Chennault to Jacksonville. Number 11, I have K.J. Hamler to Denver. Number 12, I have Brian Edwards to the Raiders. Number 13, I have Chase Claypool to the Steelers. Number 14, I have Devin Duvernay to Baltimore. Number 15, I have Van Jefferson to the Rams. And then number 16, my favorite Dapery wide receiver, when you talk about value and landing spot, I have Quintus Cephas to the Lions. I think he's got an opportunity in a year or so to potentially take Marvin Jones's job and earn a chance to be a starter on that team. So I like him the most, even though he didn't go round four, he went a little bit later in round five. If people are really interested, I do have after that, Gabriel Davis to the Bills, Antonio Gandy Golden to the Redskins, Tyler Johnson to the Bucks, and Isaiah Coulter to the Texans.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's very interesting. I have very much the same players. Um, so here's who I got. It number one, I got Jalen Rager at number one. At number two, I got Jerry Judy at number three. I got C.D. Lamb. Number four, I got Henry Ruggs. Number five, I got T. Higgins. Six, I got Justin Jefferson. Seven, I've got my surprise, surprise, prize. Brian Edwards. And number eight, I've got Michael Pittman. Number nine, I've got Brandon Ayuk. Number 10, I've got LaVisca Chenault. Number 11, uh, I've got Denzel Mims. Number 12, I've got – now this is, this is toss-up. 12, I think, and 13 are very interchangeable to me. So believe it or not, I've got KJ Hamler and I've got Devin DuVernay. So those guys in that particular order, I've got Devin Dunray um, at number 13, KJ Hamler at number 12, then at number 13, excuse me, number 14, I've got Van Jefferson, and at number 15, to round it out, I've got Chase Claypool. So just 15, correct? Yeah. Okay. So the 16th guy for me um, is very interesting. My 16th guy, um, believe it or not, I kept waffling back and forth. But I like Antonio Gibson and because I don't know what's going on in Washington. And for that reason, I don't know what's happening. And I don't know what's happening at the running back position. And I don't know what's happening at the wide receiver position. And he can do a little bit of both. And I love that guy. I'm, I'm in love with one. One of those guys has to hit in my mind. I hope, I hope one of those guys hits Lynn Bowden or Antonio Gibson. I feel like we're on the precipice of that, that weapon becoming the tool. And I want to know who's going to really take advantage of it. And if Ron Rivera and what he's capable of doing and understanding how to use a Christian McCaffrey is any indication of what he could potentially think of doing with Antonio Gibson, then maybe there's some versatility in his future. Maybe there's some opportunities for him to be a complementary piece. So Antonio Gibson is a player I, I, I like, and I'm hesitantly putting him at 16, but Again, as we learn more and hear more coach talk as things goes on,
0: I, I think this could very much change. So Yeah, well um, I mean if, if he yeah. would if, if I didn't have him in my running back ranks, I would have had him at my sixteenth spot too in my wide receiver. Is it is it a is it a foregone conclusion he's a running back? I mean, I, I had, had Bowden in my running back ranks and then my fantasy league put out something today that said for all dynasty rookie drafts uh coming up by the end of the week, him, Lynn Bowden, and Antonio Gibson were going to begin the running back designation. So I don't know if the uh, Redskins put out some kind of, you know, unofficial depth chart and he was with the running backs. I don't know. I don't know, you know, the day of the draft. I don't remember, to be honest with you, if when he was announced. He was announced as a running back. I don't, I don't know the logistics. Obviously, if, if basically my fantasy league is one of the biggest, you know, providers of fantasy football, especially for dynasty leagues, they're getting information from somewhere to make that switch. So if they're making that switch days after the draft, my guess is he's going to be in most situations labeled a running back for this upcoming year. So I don't know. I I thought he was going to be a wide receiver but apparently most of the NFL looked at him as a running back according to Lance Zerline before the draft and then now with that news of MFL potentially switching I think that's where most people are going to have him ranked but I think you know we don't know for sure yet. It could change again if we ever get to training camps and he's on their depth chart as a wide receiver well then he'll probably be you know, transferred back to wide receiver.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if so, if he goes back to being a running back, he'll probably be in the world of where Lynn Bowden was exactly. in my opinion. And I, the next guy up that I had was um, Antonio Gandy-Golden because I think Antonio Gandy-Golden will have a golden opportunity <laughs> to jump right in um, and and do something. And, and that's not to berate already the players that are there, um, but I don't think anybody other than Terry McLaurin is really supplantable. Even though I love Kelvin Harmon, I can't see them moving heaven and earth to keep him where he is if Gandy Golden were able to come in and kind of make hay. So, I mean, that's that's where I think – at the end of my rankings, I'm getting a little bit more opportunistic. I think your point about Marvin Jones and Quintez Cifas is is really good, and I'm probably too low on Quintez Cifas. I probably have him at 21, and he could probably go up there a little bit higher. Um, But I, I think Gandy Golden, the opportunity of Washington, I'm interested to see how that wide receiver core shakes out. So for fantasy purposes – that's a very volatile position for me. I feel like a lot of those guys after that could move very quickly for me if I'm hearing rumors or fits or things happening. Um, But the top 15, Paul, take me back into your top 15, and let's talk a little bit about a couple of players that I think people are going to be very, very different on. So let's talk the Jalen Rager story. I got him at one. You got him at, what, five?
0: I had him at at five. I had him at four. What do you think? What do you think? Let's talk about Jalen Rager. So here's the thing. I originally had them a little bit higher and my, my basis was, you know, they don't have anybody else locked in there that, you know, I love because I, similar to the running back story where everybody had roommates everyone's got pretty good roommates in the wide receiver depth chart too. Like no one, you know what I mean? Jerry Judy's got Cortland Sutton. And then in the next round they drafted KJ Hamler. C.D. Lamb is rooming with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. Like the Raiders, you know, just drafted, you know, not only just Henry Ruggs, but they also drafted, you know, Brian Edwards and, you know, and, you know, last year, Darren Waller emerged and Tyrell Williams is still there. And, and they're going to use, you know, Lynn Bowden in a variety of ways. And they got, you know, you know Cincinnati with T Higgins. They have maybe A.J. Green for another couple of years. And, you know, so all these guys got a lot of other players around them that are really good. So originally, I had Jalen Rager a little bit higher, you know, because I looked at the Eagles, you know, wide receiver depth chart and I said, You know, Alshon Jeffrey, I don't think, is there for the long haul. And, you know, they really need somebody. And the more I think about it, I was like, yes, that's true. But when push comes to shove, they're going to continue to make moves to upgrade that position and we can't lose sight of just how much those two tight ends are going to be involved in the passing offense you know they're they're you know they're potentially their number one and number two options this year or at least Zach Ertz is the number one you know and then I think Dallas Goddard would be in the top four if you probably talk about you know targets you know for this year you know if not number four definitely number five so I I I don't think there's this monster difference. I I truly don't. You know, in my over – we're not going to get into it tonight because the show's already going long. But in my overall big board, I have the running backs starting it, and then I have my wide receivers. So, you know, I have Jerry Judy, who's my number one wide receiver, at sixth overall. And I have Jalen Rager at number 10 overall, who's my fifth wide receiver. So they're all right there bunched together again for me. I definitely – where I keep flip-flopping with is him and, and Justin Jefferson. And I might flip back the other way and have Rager ahead of Jefferson because I think Rager offers a little bit more upside. And I think Jefferson might be a couple years away from being a true slot-wide receiver where I think he's best because that's Adam Thielen's world where he's best. So I might go back to giving the edge to Jalen Rager on that one. Uh, But it's more about – they all have the draft capital again. All these guys we were talking about, first-round picks, early second-round picks, you know. So I, I'm not using that as much of anything. I kind of fell back, honestly, a little bit more on just natural skill. Like I had Judy one, I had Lamb two, I had Rugg three. That was my order pre-draft. I decided to stick with it post-draft because – I think people are in good landing spots, but I don't think they're in pristine landing spots. So that's kind of how I did it. I had T. Higgins as my number four overall. I moved him down slightly because I do think the Bengals with Tyler Boyd, with A.J. Green have, you know – A lot of guys there, Joe Mixon out of backfield. But I love T. Higgins being attached to Joe Burrow for the long haul. So I could even see if somebody wanted to move T. Higgins or Michael Pittman above Jalen Rager. I don't think it would be crazy either. Like, I like Jalen Rager. He was my number five, you know, wide receiver before the draft. He's my number five guy right now post-draft and maybe even my number four ahead of Justin Jefferson. So I don't think it's crazy. I do want to hear you have him in at one, though, because I know he, I believe, correct me if I was wrong, was either three or four for you pre-draft. So what made you leapfrog the Jerry Judy and the CD Lambs of the world to put him at number one?
1: Well, I I, I had him at number two pre-draft, and I pretty much had him at number 2 preseason. So, I mean, he's been a guy that I've been attached to as my number two wide receiver going into this. And so for me, it really didn't change. Um, I do think that the situation uh, in terms of Philly is an opportunistic one, just because when you do look at the, you know, the landscape of their wide receivers, I agree with you. Zach Ertz is number one. Um, I, I, you know, Dallas Goddard, absolutely big target, could easily be the number two. I'm just, I'm not entirely sure um, with Rager there. I mean, I think Rager has, as we've spoken several times about that Brandon Cook style upside in terms of who he could be, I think that's the dimension that that offense is really kind of lacking right now. I mean, you've got those, off, you know, you got those twin tight ends, you can come out in that, you know, that 12 personnel look, you can come out with those twin tight ends and the running back in the backfield, and then you can go ahead and flex out two wide receivers. And, you know, whether that's going to be Deshaun Jackson and, and Alshon Jeffrey, I think Rager is going to supplant at some point Deshaun Jackson, whether by injury or just opportunity. I think Deshaun Jackson sure. is probably, is probably numbered. Um, and that's not to be, again, not to berate him as a player, but I think it's over for him, um, in terms of Philadelphia. Um, I think Jalen Rager, though, is going to give you that consistent big playability down the field that I think is going to be leaned upon. And I don't think that he plays the game, um, in a way that is, you know, I, I think there's a lot of nuance and subtlety to his game. I still think his route running is better than people give it credit for. I think his way of manipulating space and stems his understanding of how to do that um, is at an almost you know competent level where I think it's going to transfer to the NFL. Now, that's not to say that I think that it's an immediate transfer, um, but I do think in the long run I can see him building a rapport with a young quarterback and developing a rapport over time as teams and pieces change. To your point. Zach Ertz is a stalwart. Dallas Goddard, probably a stalwart. But I don't think targets on the outside are even remotely um, taken by anybody yet. So you got to throw the ball downfield. Who's going to be that guy? And I think Rager can work all levels of the field. I think he's more than just a deep threat. I think he's a very emergent, competent route runner. That hasn't really hit his stride that year, but I think this year he could develop. And I think you could be talking about a very dynamic outside receiver that can attack all levels, has the physicality to play to, to play as a runner on jet sweeps and things of that nature. And I think you could see him becoming that versatile chess piece that we talk about. And by the way, he's a very good player. So, I mean, good player, good offense, good quarterback, young team, identity still unknown. Miles Sanders, dynamic piece in the backfield. Who's attacking deep? Who's attacking deep? Well, early on, I think that's Rager's role. After yeah. that, after that, I think he could develop his game even more and become a well-rounded receiver. And then you're talking about the T.Y. Hiltons, then Brandon Cooks of the world. Then you're becoming an all-world type of receiver. So I just like the fit so much for what he could bring to the game. Now, Jerry Judy is my number two and CD Lamb is my number three. I've got no problem with them. I just literally think that they're in a backfield. Uh, They're in a a wide receiver um, world where, uh, you know, they're they're locked in as number twos. Maybe CeeDee Lamb becomes the number one, okay? But at some point, I think you guys have two rock-solid wide receiver twos. Jalen Rager, right now, he'll probably go in as a wide receiver three, but his upside in that offense could be a wide receiver one for them. And in an offense that's built to maybe score... I think that he could be that guy that gets the scores. And I, and that's not to say that I, that's not taking anything, anything away from Ertz. I'm just saying you got to throw the ball downfield at some point. And I think he, that could be his
0: world. Yeah, I mean, listen, the Eagles obviously made a point to get speed. Later in the draft, they drafted John Hightower. They traded for Marquise Goodwin. You know, they wanted speed, speed, speed. And that's what they were targeting. And you're right. I think Jalen Rager might have the most immediate opportunity. You know, C.D. Lamb's got some depth chart climbing to do. And I think he's going to be – a the tactical value that he's going to bring from year one and the splash games and plays are going to be good, but he's going to be inconsistent for fantasy. There's no way around it when you have, you know, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, Ezekiel Elliott on that offense, for sure. You know, I think in time, Jerry Judy will become the number one and Cortland Sutton will be the number two, but we... We don't know how quick that's gonna happen. And even if so, can Bolton be high level? They also then you also have KJ Hemler in the mix. So you have guys there. So I think it's a question for sure. I went I you know, I had him a little bit further down on my list. And like I said, I've been tossing and, and I've changed it multiple times already between him and Jefferson as my number four and five, and I might change it again. And even Henry Ruggs, like he Henry Ruggs might have more splash plays, but he might not be as complete. I still keep coming back. I'm all in on the Brandon Cooks. That was my come from last summer. I'm sticking to it. I think he's a, a more physical version of Brandon Cooks. So I, I think the, the, the difference in fantasy between those five is very, very small. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, I think that's going to be interesting. I think that, I think the conversation and we'll end it here is. I'm interested in that next tier of T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, and Brandon Ayuk. They were all drafted within, I think, five oh, picks what, of what each about, other. What about
1: Brian Edwards? What about Brian Edwards?
0: Come I, on. Listen, I like Brian Edwards, but I know, I know, late, late third round. That that draft capital difference, I do think, weighs on me a little bit more than what we were talking about at the running backs. So for me, Michael Pittman and T. Higgins were the first two picks of the second round. So those two guys were the first two picks of the second round. Brandon Ayuk, I think, was picked 26 or 28 in round one. So they were all taken within a handful of picks of each other. So to me, late first or top of the second or late third, that draft capital moves the needle a little bit. But on the flip side, the landing spot for Brian Edwards couldn't be better in terms of complementing, one, what Derek Carr does best in terms of the short to intermediate with the occasional downfield shot, but not usually based on speed, you know, more like even Tyrell Williams there winning at the catch point, not a guy who is going to throw the ball 50 yards down the field. That's not really Carr's game. And to me, Brian Edwards is a really good complement to Henry Ruggs. And I do envision those two being the long-term starters there. So I do like Brian Edwards a lot. I probably have him one or two spots too low. The more I'm thinking about it, I might flip-flop him and K.J. Hamler and move Brian Edwards ahead of K.J. Hamler because K.J. Hamler is, you know, clearly third on that pecking order, and I don't really see a scenario anytime soon that he leapfrogs, you know, Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy, where I do think Brian Edwards has a chance to become the number two there alongside, you know, Henry Ruggs. And Henry Ruggs is a totally different style player. So I can see the Brian Edwards. But the the Higgins, Pittman, Ayuk is fascinating because Ayuk went to a team that is perfect for him. Kyle Shanahan is all about San Francisco. Believe it or whether it's true or not, we'll never know. But they said they passed on Judy, Lamb, and Ruggs at 13 because they had Brandon Ayuk as their number one wide receiver on the board for their team. And you know what their team is. Get the ball, get to the playmakers, let them make plays after the catch, Debo Samuel stop. Well, Brandon Ayuk's the best in the class. There's not another wide receiver better in the class about after the catch than Brandon Ayuk. He's got route refinement for sure. But how much can that translate into consistent fantasy value with Debo Samuel there, with George Kittle there, With a power, with a team that loves to run their outside zone in the Shanahan scheme and how productive they are in that run game. That's why I had Higgins and Pittman over them, because I think Higgins could be the number one long term for Joe Burrow. I do think that's an option. I think he can get ahead of Tyler Boyd, and I think AJ Green's only there for another year or two. Tops. And Michael Pittman, same thing. He could develop into the number one. T.Y. Hilton's getting up there in age more than we think so there's a scenario where Michael Pittman could de- develop into the number one wide receiver for the Colts they don't have a George Kittle there you know Bengals don't have a top flight tight end so I, I chose Higgins and Pittman over Brandon Ayuk even though it's not a better landing spot right now in a better scheme because their ability to become number ones and number twos. T Higgins, who was my number four wide receiver pre-draft. So I love the talent. And now being attached to Joe Burrow, I know who his quarterback is for for the long term, probably. We don't know about Michael Pittman. I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy long-term there. So that's how I kind of sorted that out. And then my next tier is clearly the Denzel Mims, the Chenault, and then, like we said, the Brian Edwards, K.J. Hamler discussion. And then that last year for me is the Chase Claypool. It's got to kind of see. They have Deontay Johnson, who was really productive. They have Juju Smith there. Are, have they given up on James Washington? The Devin Duvernay, I love the tactical value he brings. But Baltimore, how many receivers can be productive there and tight ends with how good they are at running? Van Jefferson, the Rams are starting to break away from three wide receivers and play more two tight end sets with Tyler Higby and George Kittle. I mean, and uh, Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. How much is Van Jefferson going to be on the field? And I think Van Jefferson's best inside the slot, but that's Cooper Cup's territory. So I think there's more question marks in that last tier. I think the tier above it is interesting. And then I think that T Higgins, Michael Pittman, Brandon Ayuk. Any thoughts, Matt, to kind of close this out, the wide receiver discussion and close out the night here, uh, about those other, any of those other wide receivers? The players that are most
1: interesting to me in this class for a fantasy purposes starts with Brian Edwards for me and ends with Denzel Mims. And the reason why is for me, I've got Brian Edwards, Michael Pittman, Brandon Ayuk, Laviska Chenault and Denzel Mims. Those to me are the most interesting players. I think the Jacksonville passing game is wide open. DJ Chark is there. I think DJ Chark is the number one. I've got no problem with that. Then you have DD Westbrook, who's best on those short to intermediate routes. And then after that, Outside of the running game, which seems to be in flux. We don't know what's happening with Leonard Fournette. We're not sure what's going on. But LaVisca Chennault, I mean, is Chris Connolly really that unsupplantable? I mean, is Chris Connolly like the stalwart? Is he a guy that we have to worry about? I think out of that passing core, you got DJ Shark and I think you got DD Westbrook. And then who's your other guy? And I think Chennault being injured could be the best kept secret in this draft because it's going to give him an opportunity to kind of emerge. It's going to give him time to develop. LaVisca Chenault could be the guy that we all target at the end of the first round and see massive, massive wins with. But that's the guy that I would throw out there as your late-round grab, that if, if push came to shove and I have literally Brandon Ayuk and LaVisca Chenault and I have Michael Pittman and Brian Edwards, if they're all on the board. Yes, my heart wants to take Brian Edwards, and yes, my mind says that I should be choosing between Pittman and Ayuk. There's a world where I could just go for the fantastical journey that could be Jacksonville's offense, potentially moving on or staying with Gardner Minshew, who's already popcorn when you watch him. The mustache, I could see mustache getting along with LaVisca Chenault. I could see that world where they're the dynamic duo working hand in hand, becoming that team. There's a part of me that would want to go just all in and grab the most outstanding, crazy player in this draft, the ultimate Lin Bowden and Antonio Gibson, the guy who could do it all potentially, the guy who could emerge from this draft as being one of the best all-around players. You might see me go and grab LaVisca Chenault at the end of the first
0: round. Yeah, listen, I think, I think basically from... If we're talking non superflex leagues, I really think eleven through fifteen: T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, Brandon Ayuk, Denzel Mims, Lavisca Chenault, I think you can shake that up in a in a in a hat and pick out the order in any way, shape, or form. And I think you can make a strong, strong argument for those guys being ranked in any particular order. To me, there's a clear top five running backs, and then I think. The Judy Lamb Ruggs, Jefferson and Rager; those five guys, I think, make up the the, the first five wide receivers. I'm I think you. those you make up to ten Higgins, guys.
1: Though. I'm with you on T Higgins, though. I, I, really am with you on that
0: one. I yeah, feel I mean, like T. I'm Higgins, him number eleven on my personal big board. He's number eleven, so he's right there.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, go. I'm right there. Yeah, I can't. I you and I have been big fans of T Higgins. We really haven't followed suit and everything we think that he fits perfectly especially with somebody who we're all talking about as being an accurate thrower a deep ball passer a guy who has experience throwing the deep ball to a variety of receivers of various sizes it's gonna be he's gonna be like i mean joe burrow if you really are into joe burrow he's gonna be like a kid in a candy store being like basically framed by aj green and t higgins and tyler boyd i mean those are huge big versatile targets long big catch radiuses I mean, that's going to be like a kid in a candy store for a guy like Joe Burrow.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I, I mean, if you, if you go out 12, I think T Higgins is the first round there. I think Michael Pittman could be, you know, so then maybe Michael, maybe if we say T Higgins deserves, especially with Joe Burrow to be locked in at like the 11 spot, then we're talking Pittman, Ayuk, Mins, Chenault. I think you can mix them up and come out with a different order every time you want to rank them to maybe be the the guy who should be the last guy in the first round and then who should, you know, be filling out the start of, you know, round two. I think that is where we're at. And it's a it's a fun conversation. You know, guys, this is listen, this went a little bit longer than Matt and I were expecting, but we hope you enjoyed the back and forth. You know, I know I know I appreciated it. It's fun talking through. I mean, you saw real time me making changes to my rankings as Matt and I talked through. That goes double for me. Those rankings were, for the most part, instant rankings during the draft. I tweaked a few things since then, you know, but this was the first time really to talk to another person and talk out loud, you know, in terms of the process. And I start to see things and, and, and make sense of things that you're seeing me, you know, if you're, if you have the rankings notebook up you know you would be you saw me in there making changes like you know because I, as I'm talking brutus I'm making changes and this rankings notebook will be updated the entire offseason as long as that might be and I continue to update this straight through whenever the next NFL season is as well uh just to kind of give you guys another you know place to look at you know, just ranking these guys from this rookie class. So it was a blast. There will, will be so much more conversation about these. The, we're going to have a rookie mock draft coming up soon. And then the plethora of great guests that we always get post draft. Uh, we're in the works to do that. We'll have, you know, conference team by team recaps like we always do. Uh, so so much coverage wall to wall here for the next probably couple of months before we truly turn the page you know, to the next wave of class, Matt, final parting thoughts. I know you wanted to make a little announcement about the release of the freshman notebook, the fourth and final notebook, uh, of the premium notebook. So why don't you share that? And then uh, will I'll close it out.
1: Yeah, a couple of things for everybody on that, on the Debbie front. Um, If you're like me and Paul and you enjoy seeing these guys perform, then one of the biggest things that we do at Saturday to Sunday football is we give you four notebooks and that fourth notebook will be the freshman notebook. And the freshman notebook is exactly what it is. It's the incoming freshman of the 2020 class. And basically what I've gone ahead and do is as I, I kind of watch as many of them as I can, and I give you kind of a synopsis and idea of some of their you know, strengths and some of the things that they're functional in. And then I go ahead and give you my general rankings of each position. Um, also some superlatives about, you know, who they are as players. Maybe one guy is a really great interior runner. And one is more of an outside Uh, runner one is more of a a better after the catch Um, so I try to kind of put all these into the notebook and um, give you a top 25 big board um, where you guys can kind of get a feel for it so in this particular year um, we're probably looking at a big board somewhere in the range of you know 15 to 20 it's going to be a little bit less may not go top 25 maybe go like 15 to 20 Um, but it's going to be out this weekend Um, I'm really excited it's been uh, a labor of love as we always say on this show for anything that we do and guys you know honestly paul and i were talking off the air do you realize a lot of the testing and things that go into these players the incoming you know freshman class of this current upcoming year the 2021 class they may not have really many spark scores or testing to account for if things continue in this fashion as we move forward knock on wood hopefully we're out of this sooner rather than later but you know not many guys may be able to test and we'll see how that goes we'll see how the summer goes that's when a lot of some of these you know the opening finals and things of that occur so anyway long story short freshman notebook look for it this weekend i'm excited for it and also keep your eyes and ears on uh each of our feeds as we begin to kind of explore our youtube channel think through how You know, we're going to begin to do some different content moving forward. You'll see that we've put up a couple of quick slants where we look at a particular dimension of a player's game and we look at through a player problem solver lens. So you get a chance to see how that lens actually works and functions.
0: Yeah. I mean, guys, make sure you're checking this out. I'm looking forward to it. You know, Matt studies the high school guys deep. That's not something that I've ever really dug deep into because usually doing that research coincides with the draft projections notebook so matt and i kind of always divvied that up and matt's really handled all the high school you know research as i've been digging through and combing through all that information we talked about before for the draft projections notebook so i know i look forward to the release of the freshman notebook as much of our listeners and followers do at times because it really gives me an opportunity to familiarize myself with these guys and start to learn about their games you know for debbie leagues and just more to process of these guys and their transition you know to the, co- the college football game I mean I remember Matt going waxing poetically about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and that these two quarterbacks were going to revolutionize you know college football and they were going to be early picks well you know what we're about 365 days away from these guys potentially being you know the number one and number two picks in the draft obviously there could be some other guys that maybe you know push the, the envelope a little bit into that mix but You know, listen, if there wasn't a college football season, you know, hopefully that's not the case. But if there isn't and there was another draft, you're talking about these two guys both being taken. You know, Trevor Lawrence locked in at one and and somewhere Justin Fields would be going pretty early as well. And that was talking about these guys from when they were just, you know, babies in high school, you know, and – that's what the freshman opal brings to the table. Getting a little bit of a heads up on these guys, starting to get to know their games a little bit. So it's a part of the package. You get it all for nine ninety nine. It's the best way to support the show. So we hope if you bought it in the past, you buy it again. If you've never bought it, we hope you you know you give it a shot and, and see uh, what we offer here for all four products for nine ninety nine. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer David Nakano, and myself. Thank you for joining us and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.